Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So quick recap of something that I brought up on the show yesterday. Then I want to move on and do a couple of different things here today. By the way, big uh, slate of guests coming up. We'll tell you about that here in a moment there, too. I talked about arguing yesterday on the internet, and I talked about how, you know, sometimes you can kind of create a straw man and invent an easy argument to win. But if you really want to have the best overall, I guess, perception of what's truly going on in any walk of life, be it sports, be it politics, be it religion, be it it anything, then it's probably pretty important not to kind of create a straw man of your arguing opponent, but kind of create a steel man version of that. And the steel man version is to take all of the possible points that that could argue against whatever you believe and see if you can create the strongest possible argument for your opponent. Therefore, it kind of forces you to really think about what you truly believe in any moment, any situation. And so what I ask for is, and it's kind of interesting, I ask for arguments on this on both sides and take this for what it's worth. I'm kind of only getting JT Daniels responses right now that the um, enthusiasm just seems to be much more on the side of arguing for a quarterback change right now than it does arguing for why Stetson Bennett is supposed to be the guy. And as I said before, you can kind of do with that what you will. And the one thing that I said was, and some of you are doing this, some of you are not, but the one thing that I said was, hey, this has got to be fact-based. This can't be opinion-based. Uh, and, and an example of that, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people say, well, you know, Stetson Bennett uh, doesn't have as strong an arm as JT Daniels. That may be commonly believed to be true, but that's still something along the lines of an opinion. That a fact, and I'm getting a couple of these, you know, a fact would be that JT Daniels has completed more passes to George Pickens in games when he's played than Stetson Bennett has. That's a fact. That's the kind of thing that can go towards creating a fact-based argument for why Smart and Todd Munkin are making the wrong decision when it comes to the quarterback situation. And listen, my reason for putting this out there is not to stir the pot of controversy. The fact of the matter is there's nothing I can do to make it any more intense than it already is. If you follow social media, if you follow our comment sections on these shows, this is really for now still the only thing that really are people are all that interested in talking about what I'm trying to do is to to the best that I possibly can is kind of bring some sanity back into the discussion because I've had a few people and people who I think of as good commenters and one of the things they've said is B this whole thing is just kind of making me crazy it's like they feel like they see something that's obvious with their own eyes and the head man in charge uh Kirby Smart you know those of us who kind of talk about this for a living aren't quite acknowledging what they believe is so obviously true and so If that's the way that certain people feel, then I want to kind of get it out there. If it's obvious, if the case for Daniels is that strong, if it's that obvious, then let's get it out there. Let's get the facts that are out there, um, you know, out in the open. If nothing else, maybe it informs the questions that Smart will be asked about this moving forward, or maybe it kind of informs the way that UGA fans feel about all of this. Uh, And that's what we started yesterday. I've gotten some great submissions on that, whether it be in our comment sections or on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. And I'm going to continue to ask for people to send that kind of stuff in. We'll kind of wrap up this entire conversation tomorrow with what the fact-based argument is for sitting down Stetson Bennett and reinserting JT Daniels as the Georgia starting quarterback. So I appreciate all of that. But with that said, it's interesting how this conversation now 
has kind of started to take shape even outside the bubble of Dog Nation. And there's a guy named Tom Hart. A lot of you know Tom. He's play-by-play broadcaster, done a lot of Georgia games. Typically, when Tom is play-by-play voice for the Georgia game on television, we'll often have him here on Dog Nation Daily. One of the things I like to do as much as I possibly can, sometimes we don't always have time for this, but we do have time to do this. I like to bring on the TV broadcasters we're calling the Georgia game onto the show. I just think we get pretty good insight about the game and about, you know, the uh, – the perception of UGA from kind of outside the Dog Nation bubble when we do that. I think that Tom Hart is a really good guest. Now, here's the other thing I think about a guy like Tom Hart, that this is a guy that is the play-by-play voice. This is not Paul Feinbaum. This is not a guy that's bombastic for a living. This is not a guy that I would think of as a hot take artist. You know, some people, it's their job, or at least they perceive it to be their job, to create the most aggressive take on any subject they can possibly have and to get attention and to stir the pot and to be a provocateur. But typically speaking, most play-by-play broadcasters just don't really view their role that way. I guess I'm kind of in sometimes a world in between that because I do do some play-by-play and on here, I'm certainly no stranger to spewing out hot takes. But the point is, is that, you know, typically speaking, the, the, the SEC network broadcaster is a little bit more play-it-down-the-middle type guy. This is the kind of guy that if he gives analysis, oftentimes is going to be thoughtful analysis. It's the kind of thing that makes room for nuance on both sides. This is not the kind of person to necessarily go pointing fingers or sounding alarms or anything like that on a regular basis. So when a guy like Tom Hart raises tough questions about the Georgia quarterback situation, that really kind of gets my attention a little bit. And so I want to give you a little piece of audio here. This comes from a radio show called McElroy and Kubelik. That's WJOX, the sports radio station in Birmingham. Uh, Cole and Greg do a good job there, morning show. Of course, you know Cole Kubelik is an SEC network broadcaster. He actually works throughout the week during the season with Tom Hart. Of course, Greg McElroy, former Bama quarterback and a guy that's you know doing games on ESPN, things like that. And the other day on their radio show, they were interviewing Tom Hart. Tom, I guess, had attended the uh, SEC championship game just as a fan sitting in the stands, I believe. In the midst of talking about the Georgia quarterback situation, he said something that really got my attention. And even though this was said on a different show, I think it's worth you getting a chance to hear this there as well. And if you want to hear the entire interview, I'll put a link to this when we post the show later on today at the worldfamousdognation.com. But this is Tom Hart saying that when he watched the way the quarterback situation played out on Saturday, it raised some big questions for him. And I think it reinforces the cause for concern that maybe some UGA fans have. This is worth hearing from Tom Hart. Take a listen to this. I can't wait to hear what we'll learn about JT Daniels, his health, his practice performances once the season ends for Georgia. Because sitting in the stands on Saturday, I thought there were numerous opportunities to get JT Daniels in the game, that his skill set would be better served to what Georgia had in front of them versus Stetson Bennett and the mistakes Bennett had already made in that game. And when they never made that decision, and it it overall seemed like Georgia wasn't playing with a great sense of urgency when that game started, uh, when they never went to JT, that that raised a lot of red flags in my head and probably helped us understand, I think, that he's not a, a real option. If you don't play him in the second half of that game, then what's really going on with him on the practice field and in the locker room? Those are my biggest questions. So there are two takeaways that I have from what Tom Hart says there. And I think Tom does a good job of reflecting the, the larger conversation that's going on around here. And here are the two conversations that come to my mind here. 
is that Tom Hart, who I said before, is not given to bombast. This is not a hot take artist. This is not a Paul Feinbaum who's going to come out there and kind of stir up a bunch of callers and fill four hours of radio. So therefore, you just sort of gravitate to the craziest, most you know pro wrestling style you know takes you can possibly find. That's not what Tom Hart's typically given to. But he says, when I look at the Georgia quarterback situation, it raises red flags for me. And the red flag specifically that Hart mentions there, JT Daniels' practice performance and JT Daniels in the locker room. This is the problem I have with Kirby Smart not being more forthcoming about the explanation for why, for now, Stetson Bennett's playing and JT Daniels is not. Is that when you make this decision, and it is weird, it is unorthodox to take your starter at the beginning of the season, forget the recruiting credentials and all that kind of stuff, Uh, Daniels was your starter at the beginning of the season, and now he's not playing at all, even though we have, I guess, reason to believe that he's healthy enough that he would be able to do that. That that when you handle the situation there that way, it without explaining it, without kind of giving more, you know, information about that, that it has the potential of unfairly maligning JT Daniels. Now, if Daniels has done something wrong to the point that he doesn't deserve to play, well then I guess all that conversation is unfair. But no one publicly or even really privately has suggested that Daniels has done that. Yet you've got people who, as I said before, are not intentionally trying to stir the pot who are just kind of forced to say, wow, if Daniels is not playing at all, I guess something must be happening on the practice field or something must be going on in the locker room. I, I, I guess that must be, what, be what's going on here if Daniels isn't playing at all. So but by Kirby Smart being as quiet as he is, even if he's making the right decision with quarterbacks, He's creating a scenario in which I think that Daniels gets uh, ends up getting unfairly maligned by people who don't like unfairly maligned for a living, but they're only forced to conclude based on the evidence that's out there that something must be going on. There's some sort of red flag around this quarterback situation and maybe JT Daniels in particular, and that's tough. That's I am totally open to the idea that Smart's making the right decision. But if he was making the right decision, I wish he would would provide some sort of evidence explanation for that that would either get people to start stop taking personal shots at, at Stetson Bennett or stop gravitating towards rumors or innuendo around JT Daniels. Not saying that's what Tom Hart did because I don't believe that he did, but plenty of other people are, and Smart could stop all of that tomorrow if he simply wanted to be more forthright about this. Now, as far as... How do you conjure up more candor from Smart on this? And admittedly, I don't really know. I think uh, very good reporters have certainly taken their shot and tried now for quite some time, and it's just not happening. I think in listening to Tom Hart right there describe that the way that he did, really two questions come to my mind. And I I don't know that Smart would give good answers to these or not. Uh, History would suggest probably not. But the two questions that do come to mind for me based on what Tom Hart said right there that Tom says, I'm sitting in the stands, I'm watching this game, and when I see Georgia struggling and I don't see JT Daniels uh, seemingly even being an option to go in the game, and Smart did say uh, on, on Sunday they never considered putting JT in, when I see Daniels not being an option to go in, that's Tom Hart speaking there, it leads me to say, if I were to maybe try to get an answer from Kirby Smart, well, why isn't JT Daniels an option to go in? And if Smart were to answer that based on some of the stuff he said before, I think that his answer might be, we believe Stetson Bennett gives us the best chance to win. And so listening to Tom Hart, listening to Brad Nessler last week, listening to kind of everything that's going on, I mean, I think the thing that you really kind of want to drill down on a certain point is, 
Well, when did that change? When did it become obvious to you that JT Daniels didn't give you the best chance to win and therefore you weren't going to play him at all? As Brad Nestor said to us last week, uh, as recently as the Tennessee game, Daniels thought he was going to play a lot and didn't. Is that the moment it came to an end? When was the moment you decided that that it just wasn't a reasonable option to play JT Daniels and Bennett being the guy that you're going to go with? We may never get good answers to that, but as long as those questions go unanswered, you run the risk of a very unpleasant conversation erupting around these quarterbacks that could be ended with more candor. So do with that what you will. I am going to continue to uh, accept your fact-based submissions for why Daniel should be playing. Or, as I said before, I'm also very open to your fact-based submissions for why Stetson Bennett should be playing. And, unlike some of you, I am also open to the idea that Smart's making the right decision. I think human beings respond to incentives. Smart, I believe, clearly sees an incentive in playing Bennett, even if Smart's unwilling to tell us what that incentive is or why it is that he feels that way. I'm not one of these people that thinks smart some sort of egomaniac or that he's somehow dumb that he's not capable of uh, of deciphering which of the best which of these two is the best quarterback or that he's so given to his own vice you know uh megalomania or whatever that, that that he's incapable of making the right quarterback decision i believe that's probably not true uh, i'm willing to, to 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 assume that he's making the right decision why would i assume the worst about anybody but i just wish he'd explain it better if he would, then a lot of Georgia fans who feel pretty crazy today, maybe they'd feel a little less crazy. And the relatively unpleasant conversation that's happening outside the bubble of Dog Nation from some pretty prominent voices, maybe some of that might quiet down as well. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. And we are glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, of course, 945 with our first and 15. Always great to have you there as a part of that on DogNation.com, the Dog Nation app, taking your uh, comments there before the big show begins there at 10 a.m. Of course, radio at noon. Great to be back on the radio in Athens today on Athens Sports Radio 960, the ref, after we were preempted yesterday. Lady Dogs, Joni Taylor's squad got a win yesterday, so fun to be back on the radio on 960, the ref here today. And, of course, as a podcast, wherever you find them, on all the various podcast platforms, just great to have you with us for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp today. And I really appreciate Meriwether and Tharp there as well. Uh, great to see Bob and Ashley Tharp at our Chase for the Championship tailgate this past weekend. Always fun to see them. Those are just good dog fans. They love having a great time. And every time we have a big event, I'm always hopeful to see the folks from Meriwether and Tharp there, Jason and a whole bunch of folks there from uh, Meriwether and Tharp on hand. That was uh, certainly great to see. And, of course, they also roll up their sleeves this time of year to do big work for you in an area in which you really need it. Honestly, the holiday season can bring about kind of some unpleasant thoughts, which is that a relationship that you've tried to make work or a relationship that you have seen becoming severed and kind of untethered over the course of time, that it just kind of frayed beyond repair at this point in time. And that's an awful thing to kind of think about. But for some people, it's just a fact of life. It is a reality that now must be confronted. And as you get ready to confront that reality and as you get ready to go through that journey, I think it's really important that you have a strong advocate on your side. This may be the first time you've ever done this, but in the case of Meriwether and Tharp, they have been through this thousands of times before. And obviously you've got situations for, for your scenario that make it specific to you. I, I get that. Yet when you've been through this as much as Meriwether and Tharp have, the attorneys that make up Meriwether and Tharp, 
you develop kind of an institutional knowledge about the law and uh, an ability to explain how certain aspects of the law impact you, especially around some of the weighty issues that that just come to the forefront in a topic like divorce. I'm talking about your finances. I'm talking about the relationship you have with your children, things like that. Meriwether and Tharp can walk you through all of that. You've got questions about the divorce process? Well, they've got answers. So find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. The great news is the initial consultation is free. You can set yourself up on a journey to hire them and let them do great work for you. But the first conversation will cost you anything. So check them out online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. So special guest later on for us today, our buddy Mike Griffith, who was not able to be with us yesterday, going to be with us today, obviously uh, on the subject of quarterbacks, things like that. Uh, important to hear from Mike on that today, so we'll get a chance to do that here coming up in just a little bit. Uh, Terrence Edwards, of course, also on a uh, Thursday as well. One of the things we'll get into with Terrence is we saw Brock Bowers match Terrence Edwards' single-season touchdown total on Saturday. Terrence is obviously owned the Georgia record books from a receiving standpoint for a long time, and uh, I know that no one's happier for for Brock than Terrence is. We'll get a chance to hear from him on that topic here in just a little bit. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse. It's presented today by Serve Pro, and there is another coaching rumor that I want to quickly tell you about, and I'm only going to spend a couple of minutes on this, but I want to make sure that you're aware of it. So obviously, you know, Mike Bobo is out as Auburn offensive coordinator. And for a while there, there were a couple of names that were kind of emerging as potential replacements. One of those is Damian Craig, who's obviously former Auburn quarterback and kind of bounced around now a couple of different spots as an assistant coach. One of those guys, and I think the favorite to get the job may have been the Arizona State offensive coordinator. I forget what his name is. But apparently he's now out of the running for that. Uh, Tom Green, who covers Auburn for AL.com has a story out here in the last couple of days uh, that, and I'm going to just read you what he put on Twitter, is Auburn's search for a new offensive coordinator enters its second week. Some of the latest info in the ongoing search. As the Tigers move on from one candidate, that's the Arizona State guy, and look at at least three candidates with prior ties to the program. And one of those guys is uh, Dale McGee, the Georgia uh, running backs coach, obviously, you know, Auburn alumnus, and you know, he's kind of connected there. What they say about McGee, he's currently Georgia's running backs coach and, and run game coordinator, serving on Kirby Smart staff since 2016. You know all of that. Um, so he's obviously, you know, uh, kind of touting his uh, credentials there. So he's been, you know, so sort of touting his credentials there, and obviously his connection to Auburn. He's kind of showing up as a candidate here, potentially for the Auburn offensive coordinator. Now, listen, maybe McGee takes this job tomorrow, but. I'm guessing this is probably not the, the the next job that Dale McGee wants. He's got ties to the Auburn program. But I think one of the things that a guy like McGee hopefully would be skeptical of here, and listen, I'm rooting for Dale McGee to be a head coach. That's what I believe. I mean, we saw this a couple of years ago when Charles Huff left uh, Marshall, I should say left Alabama's running backs coach to go be Marshall head coach, that in the right circumstance, I think, I, I think that Dale McGee could bypass this step on the journey and just go be a head coach. I mean, after all, I mean, you know, to be an offensive coordinator underneath an offensive-minded head coach, how great of a job in some cases is that, really? If it's just like some huge dollar figure, then then maybe at that point in time, maybe Del McGee just couldn't turn it down. But the one thing I think that Mike Bobo probably realizes is that he hitched his wagon to the wrong dude and, and the person of Brian Harson. You know, Bobo, the previous offensive coordinator there, was trying to give Harson something he didn't have, which, which was credibility in the SEC. Bobo, having played in this league, coached in this league at multiple spots, this was a guy that knew the uh, SEC, obviously South Georgia roots there too. This is a guy that was very comfortable within that SEC footprint, something that Brian Harson wasn't. And Bobo hitching his wagon to Harson and the 
tumultuous year that went on there at Auburn uh, ended up being a bad uh, decision for him, and he probably ended up getting scapegoated for some of the failings for Auburn here this year, and perhaps unfairly. So if you're Del McGee, I'm certain you're probably watching that. And, you know, some of the vaccine stuff has never been as interesting to me as some of the on-field stuff relating to Harson. It seems like the vaccine thing's kind of gone away all the way around anyway, and that's probably a different topic for a different show. But nonetheless, it's still the issue of, is Harson a good fit for Auburn? Will he still be at Auburn? I mean, he's going to be back in 2021 seemingly unless he takes one of these uh, West Coast jobs that's coming open. But but will he still be there beyond 2022? It's almost like if you had to bet which SEC coach right now looks like the shortest term proposition to me, Harson seems to be that guy. McGee's smart enough to know he's got a lot of professional opportunities ahead of him. Even if his name is kind of showing up on the final three list of the Auburn offensive coordinator, I just don't know how attractive that job is for a guy like McGee right now. But Listen, by the time you hear this, he may have already accepted the job, but those are at least the the thoughts that I have in kind of paying attention to that. But, you know, you had a little bit of stuff with Dan Lanning. Uh, you had a little bit of stuff even with Todd Munkin the other day, briefly connected to the Duke job. Now you got uh, a little bit of Dale McGee here. If you are a college football playoff team, if you are winning at a consistent level year after year, the price you pay for that to some degree is going to be seeing your assistant coaches show up as candidates for other jobs. And, Del McGee, I guess the latest on that. So follow the rumors potentially connecting McGee to Auburn, and we will pay uh, attention to that, even if I just feel like you can make a fairly convincing case why this is probably not a great job for McGee to take here right now. But nonetheless, that is Around the Doghouse, and it is presented today by our friends at ServPro. ServPro is S-E-R-V-P-R-O, ServPro. And what they do is, is they step up to the plate to you and help you when it comes to cleanup jobs that you might need <laughs> Auburn football need a little bit of a cleanup job right now possibly so but your own home is something you probably care more about there especially if you're dealing with like fire damage or water intrusion the kind of damage created from that serious issues that almost seem like they have you know no easy solution sometimes but that's where the restoration specialists at ServPro step in there because they can get it cleaned up for you they can get it fixed back for you and literally make it like it never even happened which if you are honest is the thing you want when you look at a situation like that, when you see your home damaged beyond what you can even imagine being fixed, you just want to wave a magic wand. You want to blink your eyes and it all be back together. Well, the next best thing to being able to do just that is to call my friends at ServPro. The other thing I like about ServPro is all their franchises are independently owned and operated. What that means is when you do business with them, you're doing business with a company that understands what family-oriented, local-oriented service is all about. In other words, they've got some skin in the game. This is not some, you know, 1-800 number, you know, somewhere, you know, way off into the distance that has no concern about your home. No, they've got the, some skin in the game. They want you to be as happy as you want to be in a situation like that. So trust them. Servpro.com, that's S-E-R-V, Servpro.com. Reach out to them and find out how their restoration specialist can get your fire damage, water damage back like it never even happened. Turn to Servpro today. All right, thanks for turning to Dog Nation Daily here today for uh, all of your UGA talk. As I said before, before we wrap up today's program, we'll get a chance to hear from Mike Griffith. That certainly expects to be a spirited conversation. We will do that then. And we'll let Mike join in on, because obviously, I mean, Nothing wrong with having a personal preference. Mike, for a long time, has obviously uh, kind of touted for JT Daniels. So we'll let him add to the sort of fact-based argument for the Georgia fans who just don't want to feel crazy about all of this, who want to feel like every sane concept has been considered. We'll let Mike make the argument for uh, JT Daniels here in a little bit too and still in invite all of you to kind of join in on that there as well. But for now, on a Thursday, it's always so much fun to get a chance to uh, talk some UGA football with a guy who – 
played it as well as anybody can and talks about it now as well as anybody can either. Great, great analyst, terrific guest. Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Before we're done on today's show and this interview with Terrence Edwards, as I said, we'll talk about somebody kind of joining Terrence in those hallowed halls of the Georgia record books. Uh, Terrence got some company in there now, so I know he's happy about that. We'll talk about that there in a moment. But, but uh, Terrence, you're a UG alumnus. Uh, you love this team. You love a lot of the players on this team. You bleed red and black as much as anybody, and I'm guessing you were as disappointed as anybody could be about how the game played out this past Saturday, I'm sure. Almost definitely. You know, I'm disappointed just as every other dog fan and uh, thought we didn't. You know, just from my trained eye, I saw a lot of things that uh, concerned me throughout that game, but I am very confident that the Georgia coaches now really have some film that they could break down and be very critical. It's tough being critical when you are playing as well as we played, but now you go and you know, get you, get it handed to you. You can really be critical of the guys that have played well all year, and I think we we picked the the wrong time to play our worst game. Yeah, that's uh, certainly well said there on that front. And listen, by now the quarterback thing has been sort of kicked around ad nauseum. I, I do get that, but over the course of the last few weeks, you've actually had a lot to say about this on social media from time to time. So. Let me just kind of say, let you say whatever you want to say. What do you think about the quarterback situation in Georgia right now? You know, I'm not going to get here and and be a prisoner of the moment like a lot of Georgia fans. I'm just going to call it like it is. I didn't think Stetson played bad. I think he had one throw, the pick six, that uh, he would like to have back because, you know, to say they rotated down, he thought it was a two-high shell, which they was playing to me look like a cover three, and the post over the top was actually open. Uh, let's give credit to Bama to dis- disguising that defense and Stetson didn't make the proper read. That's the only throw that I think that he wished he had back. But other than that, you know, he played very well in my opinion. In my opinion, Yes, he threw the pick, the early pick to Brock, but that's kind of a miscommunication. That happens to any and everybody. All the great quarterbacks have where it's zone coverage and you have a crossing route and the receiver doesn't know if you want to stop or start and the quarterback – think he's going to keep going and throw a pick. Okay, that's understandable. But I didn't think he played as bad as everyone wanted to continue to put on his table. Yeah, what frustrated me about the uh, the one you talked about, the interception to Brock Bowers there was, and listen, I'm not an X's and O's expert, won't pretend to be one, but it certainly seemed like that Georgia had done a good job of trying to set a play like that up because they had you know, been so successful, of course, the last few weeks in kind of the screen game, things like that, and then to try to turn around and kind of get – what I would think of is almost like a counter off that screen game or some sort of you know uh, response to what they had been doing and have that play go for that interception there. You know that's end up being kind of a frustrating thing because it, it seemed like Georgia had been doing a pretty good job of setting up something like that to be open and and maybe be a big hit, big play, and it just turned out to be the opposite. Oh, most definitely. Uh, all right, like I said earlier, though, B, we 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 you know we're going to be hyper critical today because the way we lost. Yeah. Uh, you haven't seen me really post much today because I see so many people going and I try to stay off a little bit because I get frustrated. Yes, we lost. We got handed down. But at the end of the day, we're still in the playoffs. We still have opportunity to achieve something we haven't achieved in 41 years. I think this is uh, – I never want to lose. Uh, I, I'm not one of those that it was good to have a loss to humble. No, I, I don't believe in that. But I do believe that the players now can have a – really a new sense of focus, go in and really 
like we can be beat. We looked invincible for the first 12 games. Now we kind of got a little a uh, little humble pie, and go back in and get back in the lab and, and go to practice and reset, and now it's a new season. I mean, that season is over. It's a new season. we got one game guaranteed, possibly two. So let me ask you this, and we'll change the subject. It sounds like, based on what I'm hearing from you, is is that you're not ready to concede a potential rematch against Alabama. It sounds like that's a game you think George would still have a chance to win with the team that played this past Saturday. Oh, most definitely. I think uh, – it's a new season. I, I'm not overly concerned the way we play. I, I think the leadership of this team is, is is pretty awesome. I've been saying that all year, and uh, it's a new season. I, I I hope and wish for me as a fan. You know, we beat Michigan, uh, Alabama beat Cincinnati, and we get a rematch yeah. and just see and, and try it again. That's that's my hope. Uh, first, we got to beat Michigan first. So. That's the, the team that's on the table. We continue to talk about Alabama, but we need to start talking about Michigan. Well, I think uh, that... Michigan is the next opponent, next opponent, and that's what we need. We need to nothing we can do about the Alabama game. That's that's over and done with. We need to get our whole focus on Michigan and what they bring to the table. And knowing you're going to be on the show today, I was thinking about this. Something you and I have talked about before, and you've been very open about and clear about is how much you wish there could have been a college football playoff when you were playing that in 2002 in your senior season. Georgia clearly would have been a part of that, and yet you know, that's an opportunity that didn't exist for you then that does exist for these Georgia players now. And I'm, and I'm guessing that regardless of the bad f- taste left in the mouth about losing to Alabama, that's the kind of thing that this Georgia team, I, I, I no doubt, is very excited about. And even if some of the fans are having a hard time kind of getting energized about that in this particular moment by the time you get to the end of this month by the time folks start heading down to south florida that feeling's going to be way different this is a tremendous privilege that when you get a chance to be a part of the college football playoff be in the orange bowl down there and you know like miami south florida how much fun does that sound like this is the kind of bowl game georgia hasn't been in since what like 1960 and you know back in the college football playoff for the second time most programs can only be envious of that that there is still i would say lots to be excited about when it comes to another playoff berth i know the players know that i terrence i believe eventually these fans will know that as well most definitely i think you know we, we're licking our wounds right now woe is me but let's get off that man we, we got another opportunity to go play in a big time game in the orange bowl against a historical program like michigan that that is going to bring some problems to us i think defensively they got two bookends, and one is going to be at the Heisman Trophy Finals, and one is a Georgia Nate native as well, Chris Hinton. Yeah, uh, I think his dad played for the Falcons, if I'm not believe, if I believe correctly. That's right. Uh, a GAC boy, so he's a, he's a Georgia boy that's going to be very excited to play against this home state team. So we need to just you know let's bam it's done over with. We can talk about that. Done. Let's get on Michigan. Let's start focus on what Michigan brings to the table. Uh, I think this is. A style make fights. I think they're a team that wants to run the ball, and that's what we do best. We stop the run. So it's going to be that bout that's intriguing to me, who win in that position, offense or defense. Then our offense just got to be able to do what we do, control the clock, uh, run the ball, uh, let's make time with those sets. I think if I do have one criticism, if he could be more accurate at times, where there's some receivers don't have to make great catches for him, and he could put balls on them so they could get catch and run. That's one thing that I can, I can be critical of, but overall I'm excited for, for this team. You still got opportunity to win a national championship. We're in the playoffs. We're one of the four best teams. And for what I've read this year, we we act like we are out of it. If yeah. we're out of it, I could be 
I can have sour grapes as well, but we're still in it, and that's all I can ask for. The other thing is, you and I are close to the same age, and I remember when those first EA Sports college football video games first started coming out, and you know, I'd want to play with Georgia. Them talking, this is going back to like Sega Genesis days. This is not even you know like PlayStation days. Right. This is before that. I'd want to be Georgia, and somebody else would always want to be Michigan, and it seems like you're always having that battle on the video game back then. And for a long time, a Georgia versus Michigan type game could, could kind of only happen in a video game. And like now, we live in an era in which that really cool looking Michigan uniform, big fight song, kind of famous, you know, well known, uh, you know, pageantry around the Michigan program. Now it can be on the same field against Georgia, and you know, even apart from you know how the actual game is decided, I just think it looks good to see Georgia and Michigan on the same football field. Most definitely. This, like I said earlier, this is a historical program that I think all of us grew up watching. Uh, I can remember the, the Michigan-Notre Dame games. I can remember Desmond Howard. I can remember like all those greats playing out, the amazing blue. Uh, that's something we watched growing up. And now this, this team get opportunity to play. I think it's the same feeling I got when they scheduled Notre Dame on the schedule, just that yeah. type of atmosphere. Uh, I think Michigan is going to travel well. They're going to get out that cold and go get down to Florida. I think that's big for them. And I think, uh, you know, we travel well. I think the Georgia fans are going to show up and show out like they always do. And it's going to be a great game, man. Um, we just got to get back to what we've, we've been doing, playing great defense, controlling the clock, uh, quarterback doing what he can do, uh, coaches preparing these guys well. I know it's big-time recruiting season right now. Right. Um, and we got some time off so the coaches can go back and refocus. It's, it's a long season. People really don't understand this grind. For 12 straight weeks, I know we have a bye, but it's a grind yep. going through. I mean, you just don't really understand what these players go through on a day-in and day-out basis. So it's a grind. So it's an opportunity for them to rest mentally. Man, they've been going at it, been going at it. So time to rest mentally, refocus, and let's get ready to go beat Michigan. I think that's great. Uh, to finish up with this, you mentioned history a moment ago, and obviously on Saturday, Brock Bauer's a part of some history tying your record for a single uh, touchdowns in a single season. And, listen, you've been as you know celebratory of, of Bauer's success as anybody. And, in fact, I go back to the offseason when you talked about wanting to see somebody join you in some of those exclusive clubs. Now, we still haven't gotten to that 1,000-yard thing. I'm not quite sure how long it's going to take uh, somebody to join you there in that club. But when it comes to 11 you know, receiving touchdowns during a season, uh, how nice was it to see Bowers put together the kind of stat line? Well, he's got more games to come to, uh, obviously, at least the potential of two more games. But how nice was it for you to see somebody match a feat that only you've been able to accomplish in, in Georgia football history? I know you must be proud for Brock. I am. I reached out to him, and we've had you know all back and forth on uh, DMs. I just congratulate him. I mean, he he's a great player. You know, once I did that uh, evaluating receivers tight end with Jeff Suntell, I, yeah. I loved the guy from the first time I seen him. See him, and he's just continued to prove why he is the best tight end in the country. And it's not even close, in my opinion. I don't think there are any other tight ends. that they, There may have to be tight ends that have better stats than him, but they're not used in the way he used on jet sweeps, lining up, run fade, running all the routes in the route tree. Like, that is, is, is great. That, that guy is phenomenal. So having a guy, especially a tight end, who can uh, have 11 receiving touchdowns in the season and have more games to go, and I was just thinking about it. Man, This was I, I had this in 2002. And now it's 2021, and somebody's finally tied me out. And I think, and I, and I tweeted this, I think he will break it. I mean, he's that special. And I don't use the word special a lot. He is that special that um, I can see him 
you know, breaking his work against Michigan. That's how special he is. Boy, that's incredible stuff, Terrence. I, I love your insight. You mentioned, uh, you know, your breakdown of recruits, things like that. Maybe we can get, get some of that kind of stuff here coming up before the 2022 cycle comes to a close from you. I know folks would love to hear from you on that. And obviously you're also working with those next generation recruits there too. In the bubble, time to get busy doing that. This is the time where the grind starts for – the next season and obviously spring practice and everything else. So um, for the folks who want to be a part of the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy and get a chance to learn how to catch footballs the way that some of these guys on the college level are able to do it, how can they get in touch with what you do there? Uh, as you can see, um, I, once I had Oscar in the other day. That's right. The, and I can tell people, I can tell people this, get prepared to see another version of Brock. Very, very, very similar athlete very very similar love it uh he's gonna have to prove it before i before i put the special tag on him but he's very very similar to brock so just like oscar and the rest of you know you can find me on all social media at terrence that was wide receiver academy and that bubble work will start january 18th on tuesdays and thursdays from 6 to 7 30 can't wait for it terrence uh thanks for your time really appreciate it we'll look forward to getting a chance to speak to you soon uh, thank you ba Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So Terrence doesn't know this, but we're going to try to get Terrence to do some recruiting videos with us. <laughs> I should probably tell him this before I tell you all this, but we're hopeful to get him to do some recruiting stuff for us, uh, obviously looking at some of these guys in the class of 2022. You think a, you think a, a Terrence Edwards breaking down Oscar Delp wouldn't be a good video right now based on um, what he just said, having a chance to work one-on-one with Delp. And listen, I talked to Oscar the other day. He's an impressive guy. He really is. He was in the booth with us. First of all, that's not an easy thing for a lot of people who are even older to do, to you know, be in that booth. Of course, he has to, like, you know, <laughs> it's funny. I'll ask him a question, and then uh, there's a play that happens, and so he doesn't get to answer the question that I ask him, and then I ask him a different question. So, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the way in which you kind of do all that kind of stuff while a game's going on can be a little tricky, but he's very, you know, very astute, very well-spoken, you know, not just about his own game, but about the, you know, the game that was going on in front of him. Had a lot of interesting things to say about that. He's a sharp guy. And to hear Terrence say, ooh, you know, Brock Bauer, similar skill set, I, I take that pretty seriously. Obviously, had a great career there at West Forsyth. And hopefully, we're going to be able to get some more of that kind of recruiting breakdown stuff from Terrence here before it's uh, all said and done. By the way, special Thursday guest. He wasn't with us yesterday. So, our buddy Mike Griffith will stop by and see us here in a couple of minutes, too. So before that, though, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. Of course, Mike also going to be a part of the Dog Nation cruise. I'm really excited about having Mike on the cruise. I just I feel like that's going to be uh, uh, <laughs> going to be quite an interesting uh, uh, thing all the way around. Will Mike wear a Hawaiian shirt? Will he wear a tropical tropical theme type attire? I'm just kind of curious about the whole thing there. So uh, uh, it's obviously going to be a, a great time. Obviously, the Dog Nation cruise setting sail in April. Out of Port Canaveral, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. You've heard us talk about that. Also on the Independence of the Seas, taking advantage of all of the incredible uh, varieties of entertainment and dining options and all the really cool things that really make a Royal Caribbean vacation unlike anything else you can ever be a part of. That is what uh, Royal Caribbean is all about, and we are celebrating that on the very first ever Dog Nation cruise. So, if you go to dognation.com, even though the, the, the sailing doesn't take place until April, the bookings for it are ongoing right now. You can find out about how you can be there with us for it. It's from April 25th through the 29th. As as I said, we're leaving out of Port Canaveral. We're going to Nassau, the Bahamas. Perfect day, Coco Cay. We are going to have an incredible good time, and we want you to be a part of it. So make sure you are there with us. Royal Caribbean 
uh, our first ever Dog Nation cruise. Our friends of the Cruise and Vacation Authority are helping us book all of this. So be there. It's not just any cruise. It's a Dog Nation cruise. There's going to be special Dog Nation events ongoing throughout all of this there as well. So dognation.com, get booked. We'll see you on the ship there coming up in April for the Dog Nation cruise. All right. Cruise run the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let me knock out a couple stories here very fast, then we'll bring on Mike Griffith after that. First of all, and listen, I'm not going to mock, not going to make fun. You know, not everything Florida does is terrible. Sometimes they do something well. Um, Florida has made a pretty significant assistant coaching hire. It was rumor stuff yesterday. It is now happening. I'll show you Matt Zenitz from On3 because he had it first. Expected to hire Corey Raymond as assistant coach. Uh, defensive cornerbacks coach, obviously longtime defensive backs coach there at LSU, and a terrific recruiter. This is a big hire. Now, admittedly, there's a part of me that wonders, well, is uh, is Florida moving its program from Gainesville to Bozier City? Because <laughs> it's like you got, uh, you know, uh, uh, head coach deeply entrenched in Louisiana, Corey Raymond deeply entrenched in Louisiana. It's almost like should uh, they just swap coaching staffs? Should Brian Kelly come to Florida and should the LSU, should the Florida coaching staff go to LSU because of how tied they are, Napier and Raymond, all these guys, to the state of Louisiana? I, I, I don't know, but this is a big-time hire. Now, it'll be very funny to watch all of the, like, the cold takes exposed accounts and things like that who you know like to keep track of this stuff. The next time Corey Raymond starts trying to tout Florida's DBU, something that Florida likes to think of itself as, Going back and finding all the times in the past that Raymond on Twitter has also touted LSU as DPU. Just going to show you. It's almost like the politician who was like, I voted for it before I voted against it. There's going to be a lot of like Corey Raymond saying things now, the exact opposite of, once he, of what he once said. But listen, no mockery here. This is a big time hire. And we knew that Florida was going to try to prioritize recruiting in the, in the wake of how bad Dan Mullen was in that role. We talked about this yesterday on SEC Country Live. There's probably nothing that can be done to salvage the 2022 class. That's going to be a disaster. But in 2023, 2024, and really probably a lot of what you're going to see now impacts the 2025 cycle. Laying the foundation just to be a better recruiting program in the future, Raymond would seem to be a part of that. By the way, speaking of LSU, one of the topics of conversation that have been out there for a while was Jimbo Fisher and the fact that Fisher uh, you know, was kind of rumored to be involved in the LSU job emphatically denied any interest in that, saying that he would have no reason to want to take the LSU job given the recruiting class they're about to put together Texas A&M. And, folks, they are. They're putting together a monster class. And if you want to know how much that means to Jimbo, allegedly this is how much money he turned down to stay at A&M. Brett McMurphy reporting uh, that prepared to offer Fisher an eight-year, $125 million deal. Now, I'm not great at math, but I'm told that's $13 million per season. That's what Fisher turned down, according to McMurphy and uh, Billy Lucci, the uh, guy from TexAgs.com. That's big-time bucks. And so I, I know a lot of y'all like to mock me because you know, A&M lost a lot of games this year and things like that. And I know that right now it seems like Jimbo's kind of stuck in the muck a little bit when it comes to building the kind of offense. Where have you heard that before? But building the kind of offense that can compete with the Alabamas and the very best teams in the country on a regular basis. Y'all, the recruiting success speaks for itself here. There are a lot of programs that have a better record than A&M this season that are no doubt envious of Texas A&M right now because they're getting the kind of recruits that only a small number of programs can get. They've got Jimbo Fisher locked up and locked down. He doesn't look to go anywhere. And Fisher versus Brian Kelly will be a very interesting rivalry against each other, but also a very interesting comparison thing there as well. If I was LSU, which coach would I rather have? 
doesn't take me long to answer that. I'd rather have Jimbo Fisher, but it's Brian Kelly who became the second or third choice for the Tigers, and we'll see how well that works out. By the way, very quickly here, we can go ahead and uh, get ready to run with Mike Griffith here. Uh, so Max Johnson has uh, moving on to the transfer portal at uh, from LSU. He thanked the folks out there yesterday or uh, the, the, two days ago and said, you know, basically uh, after consideration, he's kind of moving on to the transfer portal. A lot of folks wonder where he might go. There's already kind of a rumor mill kind of popping up around all of this. The reports are out there, 24-7 Sports having this, that Johnson Max and his brother, who's a four-star tight end out of Oconee County and also at one point in time an LSU commit, they may be a package deal on their way to Florida State. So it looks like for a Florida State program that's trying to, and we'll show you that from 24-7 Sports here, uh, but for a Florida State program that's trying to find some level of success here, going to a quarterback that's got experience in the SEC, Brad Crawford among those reporting about this, Florida State needs any recruiting help that it can get. So the Johnson brothers potentially on their way to Florida State, if that rumor turns out to be true, that could be interesting and worth following. And then finally, uh, another kind of LSU, a lot of LSU-tinged news here. Joe Brady, we talked about a couple of days ago, out as offensive coordinator with the Carolina Panthers. It's, it's strange how quickly coaching stars can rise and fade. At one point in time, he was in consideration to be an NFL head coach. Now he's out as an NFL offensive coordinator. He's also still a very young guy. Let's keep this in mind. His coaching future has decades ahead of it if he wants that to be the case. But it looks like Brady's intent now to come back to college. A lot of folks wondered, well, with – uh, Brian Kelly unable to secure Tommy Reese with him away from South Bend to Baton Rouge would Joe Brady go back to LSU apparently that's not the rumor mill right now a lot of folks talk including Tim Reynolds who covers sports down there in South Florida talking about Joe Brady actually ending up at the Miami Hurricanes there's obviously a big staff being put together there by Mario Cristobal the new coach Dan Radakovich has been hired as athletic director and potentially another hire there too with Joe Brady as offensive coordinator so for now, Miami has the look of a team that wants to be more serious about athletics, and it's been quite some time, and in football in particular. So pretty interesting stuff coming there. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. I'll also tell you this, no games to pick here this week, but go with the flow. We'll return before the season is done and your chance to get your own action down on some of the upcoming college bowl games as we head towards the end of the month there as well bet us the one to consider when you think about that if you haven't signed up for your account yet just keep in mind there's a tremendous incentive for doing so when you go to betus.com use the promo code dn125 the dn stands for dog nation dn125 you're going to get 125 percent of your initial sign up bonus it's going to be a bonus over there to you that means in simple language if you put in a hundred dollars BetUS will give you 125 bucks. That's like $225 in your account to start with. Just using that as an example, they put more money into your account to start with than you do. That's how BetUS has lasted as long as it has as America's most beloved sports book, taking good care of players for more than 25 years. So find out for yourself. BetUS.com. Use the promo code DN125 and then get 125% sign-up bonus from our friends there at BetUS. All right, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, Let's get a chance to say hello and turn our attention to Mike Griffith, who we didn't get a chance to hear from yesterday. Mike, uh, thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us here today. A lot going on. Your opinion on this, obviously, is going to be interesting, so I appreciate you stopping by and being a part of it with us. Thanks, Brandon. I've enjoyed your opinion on it as well. Well, I'm glad to hear that, and obviously you popped into our Facebook comment section yesterday, which I know people got a little bit of a, um, a, a thrill out of, but... Let me just start with this. So I am open to the idea on quarterback that Smart's making the right decision, even if it's weird. But the one thing that has frustrated me, and I've said this now a few times, is that when the explanation for why it's happening leaves as much lacking as Smart's explanation has, 
I think it runs the risk of creating unfair chatter around both guys. I think Stetson Bennett gets unfairly maligned. I think J, uh, JT Daniels sometimes gets unfairly caught up in a rumor mill that may have no connection to truth and, you know, no, it's like almost like through no fault of Daniels alone. For instance, one of the things that comes up is, and, you know, we heard Tom Hart, who I think is a great guy and, and a very smart person, you know, say this off the top of the show that, well, something must be going on at practice. Something must be going on in the locker room. Otherwise, why wouldn't Daniels be some sort of option at all? Beyond just what Tom said, you know, that echoes what other people have kind of said there too. I mean, what do you make of kind of some of the rumor mill that seems to kind of erupt around Daniels because the decision that's been made here just seems so weird? It's an indictment on how bad the decision's been based on the performance on the field. It's, you would think that based on the performance of the field that there has to be something wrong. That anybody could see that that offense needed a spark and that when you're down 38-17 to 17 after a guy throws a second interception, that's a good time to bring in a quarterback. Uh, and so, therefore, many people draw the conclusion that there must be something to it, but I can tell you there's not. I can tell you talking to people at practice. I can tell you talking to parents that are involved. This is as simple as Kirby picking one quarterback over another. The evidence to look for is in what Kirby Smart values at the quarterback position. And the thing, if you you know, going back into all the, the notes, and, and I transcribe or you know, I keep track of every Kirby Smart quote since I've been on the beat four years ago. And so I've gone back to last spring when JT was the starter and off-season when JT was the starter and fall when JT was the starter. There were some common threads in what Kirby Smart was saying. One was continuity. Kirby Smart values quarterback continuity. And Stetson has started the last, what, nine, eight or nine games, I guess. JT's last start was at Vanderbilt. He exited that game with a 35-0 lead after one quarter. Stetson came in through an interception and scored three points in the second quarter. Now, that was an indictment on Stetson playing in the drop-back scheme back then. And you saw it again with five wide. When Georgia goes five wide, and Dan Mullen, I know a lot of people hate him, but he's worth listening to, Stetson's not a drop-back guy that's going to put the ball in tight windows. He can't do it. There's a lot of people saying, oh, well, this guy quit on the route. No, Brock Bauer sat into an empty zone instead of running into the coverage, Stetson threw the ball into coverage, right? And you, you, you got to watch the film. You said, well, if he kept running, if he keeps running, he gets creamed. Same thing with the Donnie Mitchell. Part of being a quarterback is not just throwing it to the guy, it's delivering it over the right shoulder so that they catch it in stride instead of diving for it and falling down or getting their head knocked off if it's in traffic or having to reach behind them as George Pickens did for his second catch or jump between two defenders as he did his first catch. The fact of the matter is, Stetson's not as accurate of a quarterback as JT Daniels. That's not even debatable. But Stetson does bring you some mobility. And in the early part of Stetson's run as the starting quarterback, and I went down and looked at every third down, some of these stats I shared with you about a month ago, Brandon, but the most recent ones I didn't, I looked at Stetson as a scrambler. And what does he bring you? On third downs, he's run for, he's attempted to run for a first down 11 times. And six of those 11 times, he picked it up. Five of those 11, he didn't. On another six occasions, he was sacked. The mobility is an overrated factor. Kirby likes it, though, because it forces defenses to prepare differently. Theoretically, a defense might leave in a spy if they're concerned enough about the quarterback as a runner. And if they do that, it enables you to have better matchups downfield, and that's why you see Stetson's quarterback rating so high. Now, a 10 of 12 
five touchdown performance against UAB jacks those numbers up too. If you pull that performance out and look at SEC play only, those numbers don't look anything like that. So but the bottom line, getting back to your question, is that Kirby likes quarterback continuity. And now here's here's the big question: Do you go with what got you here, even though you, you saw against Alabama it wasn't enough, or do you hit the reset button and go back to Plan A? Now that Pickens is back, Blaylock is back, Washington is back, and Burton is back. Those receivers were either not on the field or not at 100% when Kirby made the decision to go with Stetson Bennett. So there's a lot on the table here. It's complex. But the bottom line and what people need to know and accept is that there is no other ulterior motive. JT is not in the doghouse. JT is not injured. It doesn't have anything to do with the medical treatment, which was Ron Corson's staff exclusively, nor does it have to do with him bringing in his quarterback coach, who of course is going to come in and look at his mechanics after he's sustained upper body injuries that have sidelined him for five weeks. Because that quarterback coach is Josh Allen's quarterback coach. He's the preeminent quarterback coach in the country. So of course Georgia wanted him to tap into those resources to say, let's look at how you're throwing it. Is that causing you any pain? So no, there's no exterior motives. Kirby Smart's going to play who he believes is going to help Georgia win football games, period. And that's all there is to it. When do you think Daniel stopped being an option? Brad Nasser told us last week that Daniel thought he was going to play against Tennessee and didn't. When do you think it became obvious to those inside the program that they just weren't going to turn to Daniels because Kirby said on Sunday this they never this last game well this last game but also there was some question of you know and again I'm 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 on the sideline looking and Brandon you were the first to say it you, you my goodness you know I don't you know you do a great job on Dog Nation Daily I don't think people realize you're ahead of how ahead of the curve you are on this you said it during the game Saturday I mean you you see these things early and you're conservative with it because you're very supportive and I and I get it, because we don't want to say, man, the coach is screwing up. But you've seen these things, and you've questioned it, and I've heard you say it aloud. I don't know if we're ever going to see him again. Yeah. Everybody's saying it now. Now it's kind of like, well, yeah, if you didn't play him in this game. But I think there was some questions for me, and I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, when he decided to give Carson Beck reps, it's like, why are you even bothering to give Carson Beck any reps? Why wouldn't you want to use those reps to keep JT Daniels ready? Against Missouri, we saw JT go 7 for 11. But then to not see JT really even throw the football in a couple of those other games, you're thinking, well, if he's not out there working him to throw the ball and get game reps. Now, the thing I told myself, though, is that, well, Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech are so awful. You know, he's seeing JT against the number one defense in practice behind closed doors. He doesn't need to see it against cr- cruddy teams like Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech. So, so can I can I but, jump but in there for a second because I want to but can I jump in for yeah. a second because you said something interesting. So it's your belief that Daniels has still been getting some number 1 reps at practice. Well, it's still 7 no, it's it's not number 1, it's 70-30. It hasn't changed. He gets the two reps. Nothing's changed. He hasn't been demoted. He hasn't gotten any less reps. So when you say you know, no, can we just be really basic here though cuz I don't know that everybody understands this. So when you say nothing's changed, what is your understanding of the division of reps during practice is? From from what Kirby Smart has always told us and from what I understand, the you know, the, it's first team guy gets about 70% and the second team guy gets about 30%. And that's first team and second okay. team and JT's been the second team guy and, and that's the way it's been really uh, since he's come back from the injury. 
So let me ask you this, too, because this is what I've been kind of soliciting from the audience. You know, I want fact-based arguments for either quarterback. And for now, I'm mostly getting Daniel's arguments, not, not really getting Bennett arguments. Maybe that's just the nature of the loss, that the motivation's on the other side here. And, like, the one thing I'm getting, the third down stuff like you shared before, the way in which Pickens is seemingly more – not seemingly – is more productive in games in which JT Daniels has played in comparison to Stetson Bennett. And I do get all that. Like, the one thing that I do believe – and we'll finish with this, Mike. The one thing that I do believe is objectively true is that Daniels is a better passer than Stetson Bennett. And maybe the only evidence you need of that is the fact that when Daniels is in the game, he passes more. They throw the ball more when Daniels plays than they do when Stetson Bennett plays. That you know, that, that just sort of suggests that the Georgia coaches know that Daniels is the better passer because they let Daniels pass more than they let Bennett play. But here's the one thing where I'm a little skeptical of the, the argument being so obvious in favor of Daniels. And I'm just bringing this up to you to play devil's advocate here for a moment. That while Daniels is, they, is the better passer and they do throw more when he plays – that doesn't always correlate to more points. You know, take the Clemson game, for instance. He threw 30 times that day, but Georgia only scored three offensive points. And I don't blame Daniels for that necessarily, but I think the point that I'm getting to here is is that some people make the assumption, well, if you're going to score the 45 you need to score to, to beat Alabama, that's got to be JT Daniels because he throws it more. But the times in which Daniels has thrown it more hasn't always correlated to more points, especially against the better defenses and the ranked opponents the couple times we've seen Daniels in that kind of game, that if it takes 45 points to beat Alabama, I'm sort of the belief that I don't think that JT Daniels can do that either, that Georgia's best chance of beating Alabama is to win the game 30-23, to and that the kind of shootout-style game that some folks think Daniels can win, I'm not quite so sure he could do that any more than Seth Bennett could. Well, it depends on who's catching the passes, Brandon. And in the opener, you had Lad McConkey, Brack Bowers, and A.D. Mitchell that had never caught a pass in a college game as your primaries. Now you've got George Pickens back healthy, you've got Jermaine Burton back healthy, and you've got Darnell Washington back healthy. So when I look at J.T. and I think about the Mississippi State game last year, it wasn't just bombs away. There was a lot of third-down conversions Georgia was trying to run. They ran the ball 23 times and gained eight yards. They could not run on Mississippi State. And if JT Daniels doesn't win that game, that's not a top ten season last year. He came in and saved George's bacon last year. But let's use the, okay, but let's use the Mississippi State thing. I'm just being devil's advocate here. I, I care about your opinion, but I'm trying to spur you on here a little bit. They only scored thirty one points that day. So even in the midst of a record setting passing performance for JT Daniels, it's not like points were raining down out of the sky. Georgia averaged about ten more points per game this year, or really more like eight or nine, about eight or nine more points per game this year than it scored against Mississippi State a year ago. That's kind of my point. Even the very best record setting passing performance for 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 JT Daniels still didn't result in like a gazillion points. No, but what it did do was he converted third downs and he kept the offense on the field. Part of what happened against Alabama the other night was that Stetson Bennett went three and out two series in a row against Alabama in the second quarter. And then the other thing that happened in the third quarter was a pick six in an empty red zone uh, trip when he was unable to convert on a fourth down throw. JT is converting in SEC games. JT has converted on 10 of 11 third down throws for first downs. And Stetson is under 30%. So the obvious passing situation, this is what it boils down to. If a team can take away the run game, if, if we start with that premise, whether it's Alabama or whether it's Michigan, if there's a team that can, take, that can put Georgia off schedule behind the chains where it's not third and two or third and one, and you are in an obvious passing situation, 
you're going to be at a big-time disadvantage with Stetson Bennett based on the numbers that we've seen so far. Now, Kirby said after the game, Brandon, that he thought he played really well, and he said that they just need to coach him up a little bit more. Now, maybe he will. Maybe it'll be the greatest coaching, and, and, and maybe Georgia will win. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that they won't, by the way. I want to be very clear on this. I'm on record saying I think they would win a national championship with JT Daniels. They could with Stetson, too. I don't have the same level of conviction, but the most important thing for all the metrics that you and I are talking about and for all what it really boils down to, the most important thing, the most important takeaway that we can't measure is who do those players believe in. And I can tell you this. There were people that heard the receivers yelling for JT Daniels during that football game. Now that's going to be an issue that's going to be addressed over in Buttsmere Heritage Hall. But when you target a tight end 16 times, and I love me some Brock Bowers just like you do, and you target the entire wide receiving court a combined 17, you better believe there's going to be some people upset that they're not getting their hands on the football. So Kirby's got to manage this. We put the metrics out there. We put the opinions out there. Georgia fans want to know. I get emails every day. You get questions every day. You do a better job than anyone, Brandon, of listening to your audience and presenting different options and stay in support of the Georgia. So I want to compliment you on that because it's hard to do because you serve your audience while at the same time wanting to be respectful of Georgia football. Nobody does that better than you do, and that's why the audience listens to you. And I appreciate the way you've asked me these questions and, and given me an opportunity to share that information and insight because it is very delicate and it's a very fragile thing, and, and we live this. Stuff. This is our living. For some people, it's a hobby to talk about Georgia football It's something to do on the weekend. But for our Dog Nation team, this is what we do 24-7. This is our livelihood and our living. And you better believe it affects us. Mike, good stuff. We'll hear more from you tonight. We'll do Cover 4 Live on video. Can't wait for that. Obviously, we'll read everything you write leading up to the Michigan game. And the next time we talk, we'll obviously talk more about the Wolverines because I do think it's a great game. Orange Bowl, huge, huge backdrop here for college football. So that'll be a fun conversation in the weeks to come. But thanks for helping us make some more sense out of what is the hot topic right now. Yeah, have a good one, man. Good stuff there from Mike Griffith, by the way. Uh, I feel like we all kind of need a beer. <laughs> well, if you need one, uh, our friends at Classic City Lager, obviously a great choice on all of that. Uh, good cold beer. I'm a simple guy. I like simple things. You know, when it comes to conversations like this, I have to kind of keep things in kind of, a, kind of a simple level because if it gets too complicated, I can't understand it. Same thing with beer, too. I just like good cold beer. I like lager-style beer, but I want it to taste good, right? I mean, at the same time, it's like you want a simple thing, but you want it done well. And that's what Creature Comforts Brewing Company is all about craft style loggers you know beer experts those that have devoted their life to beer as mike said we devote our life to college football those that devote their lives to beer want to make it taste as well and great as it can and obviously every single can no pun intended of creature comforts brewing company's classic city lager tastes delicious and if you haven't tried some you should it's available all year long wherever you're doing your shopping pick up some classic city lager today because classic city lager is just good cold beer so I said about the Corey Raymond hire for Florida that I wouldn't make fun of it too much because I do think it's a good hire. But that doesn't mean we're not going to make fun of Florida here today because the 2022 signing class is off the rails. There has been huge series of decommits lately, a couple of wide receivers, you got a quarterback, you've just got all kinds. It is respect my decision season in Gainesville right now. There's just a lot of that going on. And so 
in honor of that, uh, uh, our buddy DGD Podcast on Twitter shares that even the uh, mascots now uh, decided to, uh, Sebastian's Pub is the first one, I guess, to put that out there. After much thought and deliberation, I've, with a heavy heart, I've decided to decommit from the University of Florida. Like, even Albert the Alligator, the mascot's now decommitted from Florida. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's kind of the way it's going right now. Uh, pretty funny golden shoe there for Sebastian's Pub and DGD Podcast. Uh, speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, Corey Raymond, Billy Napier, whoever else shows up in Jacksonville, they may walk in, but they're going to limp out. It's 324 days from now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And on the podcast, time now for the RS Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here. Some of them come via Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. Others come via the comment section at DogNation.com. So uh, Tyler Gerard weighed in on Twitter to say, B.A., you asked for some things in the podcast that JT can do that Stetson can't. What I really asked for was kind of a fact-based argument and in, 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 uh, supporting Daniels or supporting Bennett if folks want to do that. What Tyler shares is a nice-looking throw that Daniels makes in the Vanderbilt game. Uh, outside the hash towards the numbers there for Brock Bowers for score. It's obviously a beautiful throw. And the one thing that keeps coming up here, whether it be this highlight or some of the other stats that folks have shared, third down stuff, George Pickens stuff, things like that, like the one thing that is, I believe, indisputable, that it can be factually stated, is that Daniels is a better passer than Stetson Bennett is. For instance, we can say it a couple times is, and people cite the fact that JT Downs has a stronger arm or he's more polished in the pocket. You know, those are things that, even if it's commonly believed to be true, that's still an opinion. Just because it's commonly held doesn't mean it's not still an opinion. But when you see the fact that he might be more polished in the pocket, that he might have a strong arm, things along those lines, when you see that result in more passes per game when he's playing, and generally speaking, kind of a higher passing performance than than what we typically see from Stetson Bennett. There's no doubt that, that Daniels is the more accomplished passer. The one thing I'm kind of pushing some people on a little bit, though, is is you've got to take it to the next level, though. How often does that, does that superior passing skill actually result in more offensive productivity for George? And that's the one thing I'm still not as convinced about as maybe I should be, or maybe some of you think that I should be, is that somehow, and I cited this with Mike Griffith on today's show, so JT has a record-setting day against Mississippi State, what, last season. Uh, you know, Jermaine Burton <laughs> caught like 200 yards worth of balls. But Georgia still only scored 31 points. I mean, it's not as if, you know, even in a day like that, Georgia was this 50-point-per-game offense. And as I've said before, 30 passes against Clemson. I don't blame JT for this, but 30 passes against Clemson. The kind of thing, oh, you're going to have a quarterback in 2021, you got to throw it 30 times. Well, JT did throw it 30 times against Clemson. And, you know, Georgia didn't score an offensive touchdown that day. That the better passer, the more passing plays, aren't necessarily resulting in more offensive production. Certainly not resulting in more points. And so you may say, well, B, what's, your, what's the point you're getting to in all this? Is that... What is probably true to me, more likely than other possible scenarios, is not that Kirby Smart's keeping a prolific 50-point-per-game quarterback on the bench. It's that, for some reason, either because of an injury or setback or or you know, just at a certain point Georgia had to move on, make a different decision, whatever the, whatever the reasoning was, or, or maybe Daniels never was this guy the way that maybe we hoped he would be. Maybe there's a chance that Georgia just doesn't have a Bryce Young level, C.J. Stroud level, uh, you know, 
whatever quarterback you want to cite here, that level of quarterback that can lead you in kind of a shootout-type win against you know, in Alabama, that, that maybe that's just not what Georgia currently has on its roster, even though obviously most of us would kind of wish that Georgia maybe would. That it then becomes, okay, well, which quarterback is most suited then to win the kind of 30-20-something to 20 something type game that Georgia might have to win against against a team like Alabama in a rematch, or maybe even a team like Michigan in the Orange Bowl. That's kind of an unpleasant reality to consider, but just because it's unpleasant doesn't mean that it shouldn't be considered. Uh, Lee, who's at DCU TV on uh, Twitter, sharing where Florida ranks among the current SEC uh, recruiting classes. Boy, that's pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, they're making some good hires that could benefit future classes, but what happens in this cycle still counts. And if Florida has nothing to show for the 2022 cycle, that's the kind of thing that will impact the program. It, it just will. Even if it's incapable of being helped because of the way in which the early signing period factors into all this it still matters and by the way I got a lot of tweets yesterday related to that early signing period situation I said on Twitter that if it was up to me I'd do away with it now I'm different than some people Jake Roos some of y'all know him uh was mentioning the idea well you know maybe uh you should have two early signing periods in February one in August I, I think that makes some sense I think August is better than December I also think it's fair and I heard this from a lot of people that well, if you do it in August, you you don't get a chance to have guys earn scholarships over the course of their senior season. And I want that to still be a part of what happens here. I do. And I, I, I agree with folks who say that might be a challenge. Like the one thing that I would do if it was up to me, I just go back to the old thing. I just have it in February and no other time. To me, that was working fine. Um, you know, I think the goal stated for moving the early signing period was to end the recruiting drama. And that didn't work. The drama just happens earlier now. I think the unstated goal hasn't really worked either. They wanted to try to take some of the, the, you know, the, the the effectiveness away from the best recruiting programs by allowing guys to sign in December. That wouldn't maybe give enough time for the top recruiting programs to poach all those players. But the the best recruiting programs are still recruiting as well as they ever were, if not better. That didn't. So so the stated and unstated reasons for moving the signing period to December haven't really worked. I'd just go back to February if I could, and there is some talk they may do away with early signing period. There's been some chatter about that Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby has made uh, made made folks aware of. Let me get a Fantastic Six here on Twitter who says, let me see if I can find this whole thread. He says, I like Stetson, but here's my steel man argument for JT. JT's shown that he compete at a high level and still win it. Even though Clemson isn't the same team, he still won against a good defense and also won last year's bowl game against solid Cincinnati. So I'm hearing some version of that from a lot of people, and I'm asking this. And I listen, I'm just asking questions here. So, um, you know, ho- hopefully this is not a shoot the messenger type thing, but would you really see that JT, would you really say that JT Daniels is among the main reasons that Georgia won the Clemson game? I, I certainly wouldn't. I'm, I don't have reason to criticize JT there that day, but he didn't take the game over. Um, and I'd say the same thing about the bowl game against Cincinnati. It's a game that he won, but Aziz Ojolari took that game over. You know, JT Daniels was out there, and maybe he was playing well. I think he made more good throws than bad that day. But I, I, I don't find the, the, the two ranked opponents that Daniels has beaten, Clemson and Cincinnati, and I want to count Cincinnati, even though it was last season. It's the last game of last season. A lot of the same kind of players. So I'm going to count that on the resume here. I, I don't know that that screams 
for JT Daniels, those two games as well as some do. Arthur Roche on Twitter says that uh, maybe Kirby Smart's a, a raising Canes fan, and so when JT got the Zaxi sponsorship, that sealed its fate. That's actually really funny from Arthur. He also says, I think going with a mobile quarterback makes some sense, but if we aren't going to instruct that quarterback to take off at least eight times per game after a quick read, then why not to play the better passer? That's actually a really interesting point from Arthur, that if you value De- uh, Stetson's rushing ability, then maybe you should run him a little bit more, especially when you know the running game wasn't exactly incredible against uh, Alabama this past week. Uh, our, our good friend Miriam uh, Corbin on Twitter asking about the ticket split for the Orange Bowl, saying that you know there's 9,000 tickets for each team. She says, what happens to the other 47,000 tickets? Well, a lot of that kind of stuff gets scarfed up by local Chamber of Commerce types and things like that, and that's eventually what oftentimes ends up on the secondary market. There's this old theory that, hey, you should always try to buy your bowl ticket from the school if you can because the school gets credit for that. In this particular game, that's not going to matter because the tickets are, um, you know, attractive enough. There won't be any tickets left over from UGA. But I've always been of the belief. Listen, I love the Georgia Bulldogs. I like supporting the Georgia Bulldogs. But I ain't gonna for like some of these lesser tier bowls in the past. I'm not gonna pay fifty dollars to Georgia for a bowl ticket that I can go buy for five dollars off the street, which is what it kind of used to be from time to time. And and the the playoff situation is kind of the same thing where there's a lot of tickets kind of held back for the local municipality. In fact, if you listen to the radio and things like that, you'll hear the Peach Bowl trying to sell tickets for its game and the um, and the uh, uh, playoff game for next year. You hear them kind of trying to tout some of that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the local bowl kind of holds on to some tickets, tries to sell those itself. Uh, let's play ball um, on Twitter says the most glaring point made in your quarterback seal argument was the third down conversion rate. Wish you would debate on Thursday showing stats have been on first and second downs and JT on, on, on Thursdowns. downs. So uh, yeah, I mean you know, that, that kind of down to down difference, especially the third down stuff remains a pretty hot topic related to all of that. So good comments rolling in here. We'll keep those going. Give me your arguments for either quarterback you want to make, and we'll kind of finish this topic off tomorrow, and then hopefully we'll turn our attention fully to the Michigan Wolverines one way or another. So thanks for being here. Dog Nation Daily, uh, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, RS, cool, RS Andrews Cooldown. Of course, find them online, rsandrews.com, air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Y'all have a great day. We will see you tomorrow, and we appreciate you being here.